This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. You're listening to longtime Lake Tahoe area resident Mel Smothers playing his violin in the middle of gridlock traffic on Highway 50. It was a short moment of serenity and peace in what was otherwise a terrifying day for more than 20,000 other local residents. Drivers found themselves stuck in miles of backed-up traffic on Monday as they tried to flee the Caldor Fire, which is now racing towards the iconic lake. In any other year, especially just before Labor Day, the popular vacation spot with its beaches and emerald blue waters is a go-to destination for Bay Area residents. But now it's the latest area that is being threatened by a fire that has already burned about 180,000 acres and is only 14 percent contained. The Caldor Fire is exhibiting fire behavior unlike any other fire season before. Spot fires have ignited over the summit near Echo Lake, threatening beloved places, including Berkeley's century-old Echo Lake Camp. Today, I'm joined by Chronicle photographer Carlos Avila Gonzalez, who is up north covering Caldor for us. He shares what he's seeing on the ground after over 15 seasons of fire coverage. And then we'll hear from Katie McBride, a health science journalist whose family cabin in Tahoe is under threat because of the Caldor fire. She talks to me about what Tahoe means to her as her family might lose the home they've had for generations. First, let's check in with Carlos, who's on the ground in the Tahoe area documenting the Caldor fire. Carlos, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me during this hectic and fast-moving situation. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You, at the moment, are covering the Caldor fire, and I wonder if you can paint us a picture of where you are right now and what you have been seeing the past day or two. Sure. Right now, I'm uh, kind of posted up near Echo Lake, and uh, I got here about 8. 30 in the morning yesterday and have been kind of running around covering different angles of it for, oh God, you know, 30 hours or so and trying to whittle down to, to the things that really are, are, you know, happening in the moment because there's just a lot of rumor, a lot of questions that are, you know, still kind of um, floating around, you know, it's like a game of telephone, you know, because not everybody's fully tuned into all the details and it's changing every moment. You said you're waiting to hear about whether or not the fire is going to reach Echo Lake area. What what are people particularly looking out for at the moment? Well, right now they're looking to see if the uh, fire is, um, you know, going over the, the ridge and um, if it's crowning, getting, um, you know, spot fires coming over, over the top uh, that would then kind of go down into the uh, Tahoe Basin. Myers and um, South Lake Tahoe were both evacuated. As a precaution, of course, and um, for a while there, the um, the traffic getting out of town was at a dead stop. We had a couple of photographers down there documenting that, and I stayed at the head of the fire to see what was going on there and got some photos of some crews um, doing some preventative work up near Echo Lake, and it looks like they were doing pretty good. They um, did some backfires, and 
really reduce the fuel that would help to carry the fire um, up over the summit. And it looked like uh, it kind of slowed down there a little bit. And, you know, to be honest, the winds hadn't fully picked up yet. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens when when that uh, event does does go down. Carlos, you're not covering the evacuation process directly, but what have you heard about people who haven't gotten out yet and are trying to? You know, the ones that were around, I think the police were like, you know, telling them, you got to go. It's just, there's no, there's mm-hmm. no time to wait. And um, I did see one woman who just stopped along a turnout to take a picture of the, the plume of smoke where they were doing some drops, uh, some uh, flame, some retardant drops from airplanes. And uh, immediately the, uh, the authorities told her, you got to, you got to keep going. And that was it. Mm. So they're, they're not taking any chances. I mean, we've seen the, um, the horror of what happens when, when people can't get out or don't try to get out in time. Um, looking back at Santa Rosa or Paradise or um, places like, you know, Healdsburg and even the, during the glass fire last year, just getting the word out and making sure that they understand that, you know, there's no there's no 15 minutes, there's no 10 minutes, it's now. They have to get out now. Mm-hmm. Do you get a sense, I know you're not covering the evacuees directly, but is there a sense that they were prepared and there was a lot of warning provided to them? You know, I think I, I, I haven't been really tracking this fire per se. I've, I've been working on other projects um, in the past few weeks, so I haven't really, um, I didn't, haven't really seen how fast it spread, but I do believe that when, you know, California has been inundated with so many wildfires. And I mean, if you consider last year, how, how, um, you know, visibly the wildfires created that orange sky over most of the, over most of the uh, state. It was a, um, you know, it's an indicator that um, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And so I think people mm-hmm. are really listening and putting their um, efforts into making sure that, that they're safe. There, there's, you know, I hate to say it, but, a, a, you know, property is property, but people's lives are at stake here. And we need to make sure that they understand the, uh, you know, if they don't leave, other people might have to help rescue them, and you're putting other people at risk. So there's just there's just so many so many factors to to getting out safely, and mm-hmm. not just for yourself, but also for the people who might have to take care of you. And we've heard that fire behavior this year is different; that the flames are faster than previous seasons and climbing at higher elevations because the land is just so flammable. Does it feel more intense than previous fires that you've covered before? You know, I don't really have a way to gauge that because every year it seems to be getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse. But, you know, at some point there's factors that go into um, how quickly it spreads. You know, I did see a tree go up a little while ago along the edge of the summit that um, it just, I mean, it sounded like a jet engine and it just roared upward and different different than I've seen in other areas. But again, yeah, the... the, the uh, everything's dry. I mean, we are in one of the worst droughts that we've had in, you know, a long time. And, you know, I'm looking at trees that are, you know, brown, the, um, the leaves and the needles and the, the appendages are all brown. The trunks are, you know, hollow and dried out. In some cases, the, uh, the trees that haven't fallen are about to because they're burning at the base or along the, you know, in areas where they're just weakened. So it's, um, combination of a lot of things and I you know with that much dry tinder and a little bit of wind and flame it's not a really good combination are there other moments or scenes from being on the ground you know with this particular fire that have stood out to you you mentioned the dry trees anything else you know it's um you know right now we're in I'm kind of on the on the east side of the summit of echo summit and it's we're kind of getting to the point where we're seeing that that orange sky 
like we did in the Bay Area last year. And, you know, so there's some active burning going on heading this way. Um, you know, other than that, it's, you know, this is, this is a different kind of fire than, than we've been covering, um, you know, from our, from my perspective, you know, because that's more urban fire where we're, and, you know, it kind of bumps up against, you know, some wildland, but, um, this is, this is all very rugged and very, um, a lot of rocky, steep hillsides. And I got, I have to give credit to the, to the, you know, hand crews who climb up these hills, you know, carrying, you know, 40, 50 pounds of gear. And they scramble up. I mean, I, I would have I would have died about halfway up because they 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 really know what they're doing and they're in fantastic shape and they're really dedicated. Um, but yeah, those um, those uh, that terrain is is not easy to get to, and I'm I'm really amazed by by what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You've covered many fire seasons before, and I can only imagine sort of the mental toll that must take seeing people you know, walk away from their homes, not knowing if they'll see it again. Yeah. How are you feeling and how are, how do you manage the stress of covering something like this? You know, it's, it's, um, you have to compartmentalize and know that, you know, understand that what we're doing helps people get out quicker. And that's one of the things I've always said about our coverage is the more we're in there, the more we're telling the story, the more that we help people understand that, that they need to get out, that they need to be safe. And, and ultimately we, take risks because, you know, it, there's a greater benefit to it. You know, I had a close call last year with a friend of mine from Santa Rosa Press Democrat, another photographer. We actually just spoke about it about 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. But um, yeah, it's it's not it's not easy to, you know, jump back on that horse when, when you know, you had, um, had to drive through some crazy winds and flames and, and all that. And um, so you, you do kind of, you know, tread a little more lightly in terms of, you know, taking risks, but at the same time, you know, um, experience does help. So I know that having been out here quite a bit gives me the right amount of fear and, uh, you know, sheds all false bravado. There's no, there's no, um, you know, you can't be a hero if you're, you know, if you're, um, out here, you have to, you have to, you know, respect, respect nature and what's going on out here. Carlos Avila Gonzalez is a Chronicle photographer. I spoke to him by phone as he's covering the Caldor Fire near Lake Tahoe. After a break, I'll speak with Katie McBride. She's a writer for Inverse.com and a Bay Area native. Her family has had a cabin near Lake Tahoe for decades, and I'll speak to her about what it's like to possibly lose something so personally important. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Katie McBride joins me now. She's a writer for inverse.com. Katie, thank you for chatting with me during this really difficult time of stress and anxiety You shared on Twitter that your grandmother's cabin, located in the Homewood community of Tahoe, is a refuge for your family. 
Now the Caldor Fire is threatening it. Can you tell me more about that place and what it means to you and your family? It's a place that, you know, my family's had my whole life. Um, I think since my dad was a little boy, there, I mean, there's pictures on the porch there with him and his siblings, like all really as little kids. And it's, it's just really terrifying to think of it not being any there anymore. Um, it's somewhere that, you know, my grandpa, there's a closet where he measured me and my sister's heights as we grew up. And it's, you know, it's like, there's Katie, you know, 92. And there's, and so um, it's just really, really scary to think about this beautiful, very old, very unique little cabin um, that holds so many memories you know, not being there anymore. Hopefully that won't be the case. You described it as a place where your height was measured Mm -hmm. as a kid. It holds a lot of family history. As an adult, what has the place meant to you? Is it a place that you turn to as a place, as a refuge in your adult life? Absolutely. I mean, I, I go up there every chance that I can. I feel, I mean, we're so lucky to have this beautiful place. And, um, you know, it's funny, sometimes my boyfriend, when we're up there, he'll be like, you're just, you're so much more relaxed here. Like you're, I just, I feel settled there in a way that, um, I don't always at home. And, and, you know, I'm, just one family of many families that are going through this, I think, you know, many families have gone through it through years and years and years, but one thing I think it's notable about Tahoe is that in a lot of the reporting I'm seeing it described as like, oh, it's a resort town, a resort town. And I think it's easy to forget that there are people who live there year round. There are families like mine who go up every winter, every summer, um, you know, it's not just a place where rich people go on vacation. What are some of your happiest memories there with your family? Is there something that sticks out to your mind? I mean, we have this beautiful porch, and you can see the lake from the porch. And so we um, we call it the Purple Mountains. As the sun sets, the mountains get this like really beautiful sort of reddish purple glow. And so that was always a big deal. We'd always sort of stop whatever we were doing to watch the Purple Mountains. But also, um, you know, just both my grandparents have now passed. My grandmother passed last year. And, you know, they were two of my very favorite people in the world. And so mostly my memories are just being with them there. Like my grandma, you know, letting me color on, you know, do, do my little coloring drawings on this old wooden desk and sort of like helping me with them or, mm. you know, a, a little short hike we go on to on um, just, you know, little things that sort of make up all of your childhood memories. Mm-hmm. You mentioned as barrier residents, you know, fires have become such a reality for, for all of us. Uh, but this is hitting close to home in a different way. Did you ever think that you and your family would be impacted directly in this way? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've worried. I've worried about the cabin a lot. 
Um, especially, I mean, it is very much a cabin. It is made of wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's, um, and surrounded by trees and pretty much the opposite of whatever a, a fire-resistant home might look like. So I've always had a concern with Tahoe especially. But, um, you know, now I live in Marin County and there's a lot of wildlife around here. I think, I just think it's hard to live almost anywhere in the Bay Area now without being worried that, um, you know, you could be really severely impacted by a fire. Everyone I know in the Bay Area knows someone who has lost a house in a fire or has, you know, lost really meaningful things in in these wildfires. Is it making you think, it is for me, but is it making you think of home differently? Because as a Bay Area resident, we think about we would never leave California's home, Bay Area's home, where else could we be? Is it making you have those conversations with your own family or close ones? Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I have thought about a lot. My boyfriend and I have talked about it a lot. It's it, And it's really hard to imagine. I mean, both sides of my family have been in California. I think I'm like a seventh generation Californian or something just for so long. It's hard to imagine us not being here. But at the same time, um, I have a lot of anxiety around the fires, around the drought. And I love this place so much, but, um, you know, it, there's a stress that is coming with it that didn't really used to be the case, at least quite as much. Mm -hmm. And what's next for you all? How are you all trying to stay up to date on what's happening? How are you monitoring the situation? Um, I'm checking Cal Fire maps pretty frequently and Twitter. <laughs> it's a very strange feeling um, of sort of just waiting and and you're in sort of in suspended animation. Like there's nothing really to do but wait, but at the same time uh, doing nothing when this thing that you love is potentially in danger feels sort of crazy. Um, so it's, it's just very surreal. Well, Katie, I, I hope, and I, I'll pray for your, your home to stay safe Thank for you. you and your family. Thanks for sharing a little bit about why it's so beloved for you and your family. I appreciate it. Of course. I just want to say thank you to all the firefighters out there. Um, I can't imagine doing what they do. And I know that everyone, basically everyone in California really appreciates, um, their efforts. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Katie McBride is a Bay Area native and resident and a health science journalist with Inverse.com. I'd like to thank her for joining me along with Chronicle photographer Carlos Avila Gonzalez. You can find his and all of the Chronicle's coverage of the Caldor Fire at sfchronicle.com slash wildfires. As we know, these fires are incredibly fast-moving. Check out our up-to-date interactive fire tracker at sfchronicle.com slash fire map. Thank you to Chronicle photographer Alvin A.H. Hornada for his help with this episode, to King Kaufman for producing, and thanks to you for listening.